And we're back with the Auto Week podcast. Still the new ones. 87 for those who are at, uh, counting at home. Uh, you're here with Wesley Wren, Mr. Mike Price. Hello, hello. And the man who does it all, Mr. Matt Weaver. Matt, hello. Thanks. Where are you at today, Matt? <laughs> you know, it's finally, it's the actual off-season, at least as far as uh, 2019 is concerned. It's back home. I don't, I don't think there's any more racing I could find. If, if, if it was there, I would go. <laughs> but I, I think we're at the end now. I think it's only Christmas. and Sled I racing. I don't think anyone's racing on Christmas. Now, so, you're, uh, you're, your home base now is Mobile, right? I mean, you're down in Mobile <laughs> for the most part? Yeah, pretty much. So how far is that from Pensacola and the Snowball Derby? About an hour. Oh, so that's a home race for you. Yeah, absolutely. Snowball Derby. What the heck is the Snowball Derby? <laughs> so, okay, so the Snowball Derby, it's a, uh, it, it's the most prestigious short track late model race. I used to say in America, but really now, I, I won't even say the continent, it's the world. Whoa. Uh, they really don't, they don't really race these anywhere else, but they do race them in North America, and the race is represented by, um, all three countries on the continent here, the, the major countries are all on the continent, U.S., Canada, Mexico, drivers of all countries represented. It's a, a big, big deal. And, you know, the position of it on the schedule, the fact that it's in December, you see a lot of NASCAR participation. Uh, David Gilliland, the ex-Daytona 500 pole winner, was in the field. Um, Rodrigo Rijon from the Peak Mexico Series, um, former champion in that tour, was represented in the field. Uh, Harrison Burton, the, the future NASCAR star. Jordan Anderson, a truck series regular. Bunch of NASCAR participation. But it's also putting them against the, the top short track drivers, names that you know readers of Auto Week have heard before because they, they've read stories about them. The Bubba Pollards of the world. We're talking about Josh Berry, Stephen Nasty. These are guys who are, are short track lifers, and they're going up against NASCAR, either NASCAR stars or nascar up and comers and it's just a really interesting dynamic the, the race pays well and um they have way more cars than spots that they're to allow they had 57 entries this year and they only started 36 so it, it's hard to make it and it's hard to win it and even if you win it as we learned this week you don't win it well this is at five flags speedway right that's the name yeah, of the speedway. Florida. now we've seen some pictures it looks like there's a pretty good crowd at this event what, what, how do they draw yeah, so the, the race day it got rained out this year. It got pushed back from Sunday to Monday. So that, that killed the crowd. But on a um, regular Sunday afternoon like last year, uh, that race gets about 25, 26 plus wow. walk-up. So it's, it's, it's comparable to uh, NASCAR Truck Series events, Xfinity. Certain, I, I wouldn't even say Xfinity events. We're talking about the standalone races like Eldora, which gets about you know 20,000 plus standing room only. So it draws pretty big. That's a that's a definitely a huge event. Now this year, I mean, obviously you had the extra day, but uh, sounds like it was worth the wait. You had a lot of drama last night for that final. Yeah, you know, on on one hand, well, let's let's get right on into it. So the, the guy who took the checkered flag, Stephen Nassie, won in dramatic fashion. There was a, a late restart with a crash that took out a bunch of the leaders, and and Stephen Nassie, who had been driving without power steering. It's about lap 20 in a 300, at this point, 317 lap race. So he has uh, very strong forearms. <laughs> Popeye yeah, forearms he, out he there. Got a, he got out looking like Popeye. Yep. And, 
you know, he's flagged the winner, he's given the trophy, then they go to the inspection room, and they call it the Room of Doom for a reason. We've written a story on, on Ricky Brooks in the magazine, and he's a very notorious technical director. Everything about the car has to be legal. There's no gray area. When you roll in that tech area, you see a big sign that says it is what it is. And what it was is they found a titanium um, brake rotor cap. Uh, I Not think the brake rotor, the brake rotor cap. I think it was a brake piston shim, basically, like a it, it prevented the heat from transferring to the brake caliper. So it was more on the yeah, caliper side. In the, in the cap, right? So. Not, it's not legal. The rule book very clearly states not legal, and so they had to toss him out. And uh, Travis Braden, who ran a full ARCA schedule, um, he's in his late twenties, so he's pretty much a short track lifer too. He's, he's ran a couple of ARCA seasons. He's not going to next year. Um, he picks up the win. But the most dramatic part of all of this is that Stephen Nassie used to be a P or used to be a PFC brake customer. Now he's a Brembo brakes customer and he is very adamant and it wasn't denied that the representative of PFC brakes was the one that had had it tattled on him basically and and Ricky was basically looking for it as soon as they got tech they never really checked brakes and it was the first thing he wanted to see as soon as they rolled onto the scales and it, it, it's it's pretty ugly that's pretty suspicious <laughs> so what what was the i mean Travis Braden, I guess, got the win. So, you know, how, what kind of a race did he run? Was he a deserving winner? I mean, or how far back was he? Yeah, so, you know, actually his entire week was so interesting because he had a fast car throughout the entire run of practice. We do way too much practice there. Um, <laughs> they do open tests the week before. There's an entire day of practice on Thursday. There's more practice on Friday, and there's been qualifying on Friday night. Practice? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Talking about practice, <laughs> no. not a race. We, we talk about practice. All right. Uh, the, the, the final minutes of practice, Travis Braden gets the right side of his car completely sheared off, destroyed, and just a, a crash that shouldn't have happened. A driver that had a spotter in a bad location, driver made a bad apex, tore up the car. We're talking like two hours before qualifying where you only take the top 30 out of 57 drivers. And they, they've got to repair this car in two hours. And the right side was just, they had to replace everything on the right side. And qualifying rolls around, and they qualify 30th. They are the last guy into the show on time. Now, everyone else has to go to a last chance race, and that tears up a bunch of cars, but they only take four. So you, it's, it's very important to be in that last chance, or not to be in the last <laughs> chance race. And he barely sneaked in. And so that was the second part of the, the thing. He loses a lap early in the race because there was a misunderstanding on, on race procedure. Uh, when you can pit, lost a lap, lost all of his track position, had to get a lucky dog. Then he was involved in a crash with 20 laps to go. Fortunately, there was a crash coming to the white flag. And, um, you know, he was in position to, to, to get second at the, the checkered flag and it won him the race. So it's a lot of adversity. Sounds like another race we have down in Florida every year. That, yes, da- that, that Daytona 500 has a tendency to have a lot of these crashes at key spots, including that white flag lap. So uh, that's kind of a cool uh, way to end the year, I guess, as far as the race season down there. Yeah, you know, it's it's special. Like I said, the fact that it's you know ever closer to Christmas, 
and the NASCAR season's over. Um, this year, the, the the race team alliance of NASCAR Cup Series owner bought a majority stake of a website that that has a lot of interest in short track racing. Um, they're, they're the broadcaster, the co-promoter, uh, digital content. So the NASCAR Race Team Alliance bought into this website, Speed 51, and this was the first year where you saw a ton of NASCAR participation, too, trying to prop this race up into something even bigger. They had the 704 Games driving simulators there. There were several NASCAR Cup team owners in attendance on Sunday. Um, Archie St. Hillary of Go Fast Racing was there to support Corey LaJoy, his cup driver, for example. So um, it, it, it's, it's special. And, you know, we're, we're talking, like, to me, as a racing guy, there's only a couple of races I feel this way about. The Daytona 500, the Indy 500, Chili Bowl, Snowball Derby. There's just certain races you get up in the morning, and it just feels extra good, and the Derby's one of them. Well, the Chili Bowl, like you mentioned, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, you going to be out there for that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I finally went for my first one last year, and I was so reluctant because I, I do so much as it is, and to add another race in January just felt like overkill. But I, I was able to get a hand, and people helped me out to go last year. And, and damn it, I caught the bug. And once you catch the bug, you don't shake the bug, and you're just going to keep on going. Well, we'll definitely take some time in a couple of weeks and start hyping up that chili bowl because, uh, like you said, once you've been to that, it's uh, it's that's a whole it's a whole new ballgame from there on out. Hey, Matt, real quick, you had yeah, a lot and of. I want go ahead. I, I want to get a cheap plug too. Is you know, we're on a podcast, so I would be remiss if I didn't say that we're going to start unleashing the auto the Auto Week Motorsport centric podcast around chili bowl. That's my oh, that's my a launch day launch event. It, it is, and so I'm super excited to kind of. You know, that's, that's the first big race of 2020, and I want to to use that as the launch-off point for Auto Week Racing Podcast. Yep, so that means another hour or so of uh, racing content uh, through the Auto Week Podcast Network, which we're looking forward to debuting in 2020. It's an exciting time down here. I know we don't have the magazine anymore, but uh, it's, it's, it, will not, it will not be hard to find uh, racing and, and, uh, and car content coming from Auto Week. And I have to do this joke. Uh, oh, here comes. Uh, the Auto Week uh, Podcast Network has perfect vision in 2020. <laughs> Uh, thank, thanks, uh, Wes, for that. We appreciate anytime, it. anytime. Hey, hey uh, I got to ask you too. Uh, before we, before we totally leave the snowball derby, uh, we did have one crash. Uh, you know, I guess it was on Friday. Uh, Justin Bonnet, uh, you know, a name guy just because of his, his grandfather Neil Bonnet uh, was a, a NASCAR great. Uh, any update on on how Justin made out? Uh, he was in a crash that you know his car turned into a fireball out there. It was pretty dramatic. Yeah, so that was on Saturday during the. The Snowflake 100, that's the oh, second right. yep. tier division. The Snowball Derby is super late models, and these are crate engine pro-late models. And it was, it was a, a crash I've never seen before. And, and when you see a lot of, of racing, you see a lot of crashes. But Justin Bonnet had connected with a, another competitor on the track, and his fuel cell had gotten dislodged from the car. And Justin had, had dragged it down the track, and it caught fire. And these fuel cells are not supposed to dislodge on contact like that. So it would be very interesting to see what the... It's very terrifying. It'll be interesting to see what the investigation pulls up on that. I know Ricky Brooks is going to be very thorough, as he always is. Um, Justin's beat up pretty bad. He he has a a broken leg. He's got burns. uh, His legs, his arms, on his hands, 
um, the family has set up a GoFundMe. So if anyone wants to just look into it and see if that's something they would want to do, Justin Bonnet Racing, GoFundMe, just do a Google search. It's easy to find. He's beat up pretty bad, and, you know, he's got a NASCAR family name. But I can tell you, this is a a blue-collar grassroots racing family. They're, they're not swimming in money. What money they have, uh, they put into this race car, and, you know, they've lost a race car, and, and Justin's beat up. So I, I'm sending him a uh, speedy recovery because, that's one of the, the, the worst-looking crashes I've seen in a long time. But sure, if you look at it, the flames stretch across the track. Oh, it looks like, like a, the, the DeLorean yeah, going looked, well, back in time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It looked like a comet. I mean, you got the, the ball of fire and then this fiery trail behind you for 7,500 yards, what have you. It was awesome. It, that, it, it, was, like it was not awesome. Five miles per hour. It was uh, terrifying. But anyway, sounds like he's okay then, at least on the road recovery. Uh, uh, we won't see him in the car probably for a while. But he, it's funny, he also drives the number 12, which is his uh, Neil Bonnet made famous uh, back when his, back in the day. You know, we lost Neil in 94, I believe it was, uh, at the Daytona 500 in practice uh, in a crash. And and uh, so that family down there, uh, the Hueytown area, I guess, of Alabama is uh, – you know, it's it's one of the one of the racing names, I guess, in NASCAR over the last uh, you know twenty five years or so. Yeah, as a native Alabamian, I can tell you the, the Alabama gang um, they were they were prominent in the seventies and eighties, early nineties. But you know, they they have you know legacy. They have children and grandchildren who are still racing, and the Alabama gang is still very popular, very prevalent, and it's very beloved by the the racing community in the South. Are you, have you been invited in yet? I mean, you're a Alabama guy, and uh, you should be part of the gang, right? Well, I think if you're in the gang, you Honorary. can't talk about being Honorary. in the gang. Honorary. Nice, nice. Hey, we had some breaking news today, uh, Matt. You might want to talk about uh, Cole Pern. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's, uh, you know, Martin Truex's, uh, Martin Truex Jr.'s uh, crew chief uh, leaving the team. Uh, what's up with that? So, you know, a lot of people are, are talking about shock. And I mean, I get it. When when you are only 38 years old, you've won a cup championship with Martin Truex Jr. Uh, you're working for Joe Gibbs Racing, the elite team right now in NASCAR. You know, a, a lot of people call it shock, and I put shock in the headline because that's that's just what you do. But I'm telling you here in a more intimate setting, you know, racing people listening to the podcast, it's not that shocking, and it's not that shocking for multiple reasons. He's told people in the past. He's not going to be a racing lifer. And at 38 weekends a year, Cole Pern has never been particularly enamored with being off the road you know, so little time that he has with his family. And he's always said that he's going to take a serious look at, at when it makes sense to step away and, and do something else. He's been saying that for years. And then he was working for Furniture Row Racing out of Denver, Colorado, and had been there as a, a a car chief before he was the crew chief. That, that NASCAR and hotbed, when, that NASCAR hotbed of Denver, right? And so then you know the team closes down and, and it folds into Joe Gibbs Racing basically. And Cole Pern did not want to move away from from Denver. Uh, he did not want to move his family away from Denver. He is a big time family guy, and I think after one, I mean, this is very obvious. After one year being in Charlotte, having moved the family away, and continuing to be on the road but not totally on his terms i i don't know if he got an offer to do something else the the, the, the release says it's you know uh, an opportunity outside of racing he's not saying what that is 
but it's not a surprise. This is a very long season. It's the longest season in professional motorsports. There's only one home game, you know, Charlotte, two home games in Charlotte. And this requires a lot. It requires a lot for everyone that, that follows the tour. I can attest to that too. And you know, there's just certain people that they, they prioritize other things and, and they should. They've got family. Um, he's got two young kids. So, you know, good for him on being able to make a decision like that at 38 years old because I'm sure there's a lot of people who driving a top tier car, crew chiefing a top tier car that would feel pressure to do something else. And he, he, he chose this on his terms. Well, what kind of a blow to Martin Truex Jr. is this? I mean, uh, uh, at Furniture Row, they win a championship. They come over to Joe Gibbs Racing, really don't miss a beat, could have won the title this year. Uh, you know, is, is there a little nervousness going on right now in uh, the Martin Truex Jr. camp for next year? I mean, how, how big a deal was Cole Pern to that uh, success? Oh, it, it has to be huge. I mean, they've done this now across two different organizations. Um, they have the second most number of wins in the five years that they've been paired together. Um, they've led the most laps of anyone over the last five years together. They're, they're tied for second in the most final four appearances um, since 2015 when they first got together. Uh, and then they won that cup championship in 2017. He revived Martin Truex's career. Martin Truex was a two-time Xfinity champion. People know that, that Martin Truex Jr. can drive a car, but it just didn't work at the cup level. It didn't work at the cup level at DEI, at Michael Walter Racing, and it wasn't really working early at Furniture Row Racing. Then came Cole Pern, the switch to Toyota, and he looked like the, the prospect that everyone said he was 20 years ago. Um, he's going to continue driving for Joe Gibbs Racing, and Joe Gibbs Racing is going to provide you know, the best people possible. But you've seen over the years that you know, Eric Jones has struggled to get it done. Denny Hamlin's had to go through a couple of crew chiefs and finally got back to the championship race this year. Just being that Joe Gibbs is not a promise, and it's going to be really interesting to see who they get to, to, to commandeer that 19 car because I don't think they plan to have to do this this year. They both had a two-year contract and they thought they were going to go through at least next year and then look at what 2021 and, and beyond looks like. Yeah, and Martin Truex Jr., I mean, Matt, he, you have to agree, he's on the cusp of a Hall of Fame career here, I mean, with his Xfinity championships, his cup championship, and you know, a couple more years of success at this cup level, he's a first bout Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, he's probably there now just because NASCAR takes, and this isn't any disrespect, but NASCAR is enshrining five notables every year and right. pretty much if you win a championship you're in the hall of fame but i think if you have a, if you have slightly higher standards in your own personal hall of fame if we if we launched the auto week hall of fame i think we would maybe take three a year exactly, <laughs> and um, yeah. I, I think that truex is probably um right there on the cusp if not borderline so yeah this is going to be interesting to see how it plays out he's a heck of a driver but no doubt cole pern is one of the absolute most brilliant engineers and in motorsport, then you know it's a huge blow. It'll be interesting to see if, if Cole Pern actually stays away, or is this just going to be a you know a break of a year or two, whatever, before he gets the bug again. Well, I, I would wonder if if this NASCAR schedule is too rigorous. I mean, there, there's other forms of motorsports. I mean, IndyCar is is growing in prominence, and certainly a, a guy like Cole Pern could be very valuable there and in, in doing it more on his terms. I don't know, but yeah, it's hard, so hard to say. I just, I do not think that he wants to do this um, 10 months out of, out of 
12 being on the road and away from his family, especially when he was forced, not on his terms, to to move them away to to Charlotte. So I, I just don't see him doing it under these circumstances. Well, sending a little bit of a message. I mean, we hear a lot of these drivers and crew chiefs and, and crews talk about the length of the schedule, and just it's just not sustainable for a lot of people for you know a fifteen twenty year career. Yeah, if you want a family, good luck because uh, you're working basically seven days a week and you're gone thirty eight weekends a year, if not more. Or you're just inbred with everybody yeah. in the series, and you, you know that whole you know paddock is family. Um, you know, we see a lot of, we see a lot of relationships going on out there, Matt. So it's, uh, oh, there's a, there's a lot of kinsmanship. Yep. I mean, we, we're, we're all we have. I mean, I'm, I'm there. I'm on the road pretty much all the time. And I can tell you, it comes at great expense to your personal life, to your personal relationships. And it's tough. And there are certain moments throughout the year. If you try to, to take a step back and, and look at the proper perspective and as much as even myself, as much as I love racing, I go, you know, what am I going to think about 30, 40 years from now if this is all I've ever done and it's all I continue to do? Am I going to regret this? And for now, the answer I keep telling myself is no. But as I get older, your perspectives change. Cole has two kids. So I think that everyone's going to have that, that point of clarity where it's like, do I want to continue doing this? And I think he finally reached the conclusion that he did at some point late this year. Well, on a totally selfish uh, thing here, I hope you don't have kids anytime soon, Matt. I don't want to lose you off the beat. I don't want you to get uh, you know a little burnt out or want to spend more time at home. That would kill me. No, I'm, I'm married to race cars. <laughs> I, I say this all the time, and you know it's funny. I'm going to tell a personal story, but like like anyone, we all have parents, right? And we we come to the holidays. This is a holiday season episode of the podcast. And it's it's inevitable. I, I get home and I see my parents, and it's like, "Where's the grandkid?" And I'm like, "I've got the grand race car." <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I, I, I thank you so much for checking in today. Man. Thank you so much. We'll uh, we'll uh, touch base here in a week or two, talking. Yeah, maybe start talking a little bit of some silly seasons going on here as we're getting ready to fire it up. Like you talk the. Uh, off season not very long for race fans or for race riders, so uh, we'll be we'll be sticking to it. And I know you're working hard on that uh, launch of the new motorsports podcast, which uh, I'm looking forward to being a part of that as well. So, well, the Chili Bowl just down the road. It sounds like a false ending. Yeah, the, of the, the season. Yeah, the Chili Bowl. What uh, I think it's the January 13th. I think, man, does that ring a bell? Yeah, yeah, it's the middle of January. That's the start of it. Absolutely. So yeah, it's so a, hopping a skip away. So we'll be uh, getting fired up about that, and you can start breaking down the the, the field with that. I'm sure that those are coming out now so hey matt again uh you know thanks again and i hope, thank you matt hopefully we talk to you just before again before christmas if not uh, have a great holiday yeah i was gonna say that too and not only do you guys we'll, we'll talk off the air but certainly here on the air everyone listening um happy holidays to all of you um, you, you guys listening are, are the reasons that we get to have fun talking about cars and race cars it's not lost on me we're past thanksgiving but i want to say that i'm grateful to everyone listening Happy holidays. You guys have an awesome time. And we're back. We're here now with Natalie Neff, Graham Kozak, and somebody who has... uh, Sean, I heard you got an old Mustang. (laughs) Yeah, just uh, just one. Yeah, it's like a 68 GT or something. Yes, definitely. uh, It seems like a nice car. Uh, Sean Kiernan, the man who owns the... Wait for it. The 
bullet Mustang. Not I mean, you also own a bullet Mustang, but you own the bullet Mustang. They are about ready to sell at the Kissimmee auction. Uh, That's right. It's the Meekum Kissimmee, the, the Meekum Kissimmee auction. auction this January. It's about 30 days away from the block, as far as I understand. Tell us about the car. Tell us about the Bullet Mustang. What's what what's it like to own the Bullet Mustang? Yeah, you've got to have a speech prepared at this point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that's that's a that's a twofold question. Uh, what, what's like what's it like owning it? Um, because I call it, you know, prior to January 18, owning it was a uh, complete secret. Uh, sitting in the garage, been you know, I don't know my life without the car. Um, you know, it's uh always been in the garage it's always been on jack stands it's always been my father's car it's always been the car we were going to do as a project um and then living with the bullet mustang after january 18 um has been you know since i unveiled uh with ford at the detroit auto show has been more of a uh you know um protecting my long lost sister kind of deal um because perception is always key and uh you know, everybody sees it as a uh, an old Mustang that needs restoration, and uh, that's been my my battle, um, just making sure she doesn't deteriorate anymore. So, as far as living with it, there is, uh, yeah, it's 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 twofold. But uh, for me, um, even though the car is what it is, which is the uh, the number one movie car from uh, the movie Bullet, uh, you know, it ended up doing ninety five percent of the chase, got beat up. For the movie, during the movie, after the movie, and uh, you know, I'm I'm the crazy guy. Fifty years later, trying to make sure it doesn't deteriorate anymore. So, um, yeah, it's it's to me though, you know, and and not everybody gets this part of it is the fact that it's actually you know a family car, um, and that's what I know it as. Um, you know, yeah, I love the movie Bullet. I'm a Queen fan, but. That comes, you know, fifth and sixth after, you know, my father and my mother and my sister. And, um, you know, the fact that my mom, I, it's funny, I didn't say this until, but one of the biggest reasons I think that I'm okay with selling the car is that no one will ever drive it as far as my mom. <laughs> so maybe and that'll never happen again. <laughs> maybe you could go into just the basics of how this came to be the, the family Mustang, um, like it's post yeah. life. And I know that gets a little interesting. Um, a couple changes of ownership before it landed with you guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, so after filming wrapped in 1968, um, the car, actually both cars, uh, went back to, um, Lee Brown's body shop. He's actually the one that prepped it for the movie. One car was completely scrapped. Drivetrain and everything went to Max Belchowski who built both cars the drivetrain of the jump car uh, went back to his shop, and then Lee Brown was commissioned by uh, Warner Brothers to get the other car um, kind of like just, you know, back to stock. Uh, that way they could get off their books and sell it. Um, so that was late 68, and not until early 69 did an editor on the lot named Robert Ross. Um, he's actually the guy that first bought it. So the first man that actually had the car registered and thankfully for him, um, you know, is why honestly the car exists today because he's the one that got Warner brothers to authenticate it. He's the one that got Warner brothers to kind of go through the list of what's been done to it. Um, and you know, he's actually the reason that we know that there's another Mustang is because Kevin Marty, you know, checked the other VIN number and you know, lo and behold found the jump car. 
So with that, uh, you know, the reason I hear and through our documentary, we've definitely interviewed plenty of people. Um, but Robert Ross was a little bit of an eccentric person. Um, not a lot of people around a lot really thought he was, uh, a nice guy. So he kind of bought this car to, um, collect friends. And, uh, you know, about six months after that, it wasn't working. So he put <laughs> it in Hemmings. Uh, so it was actually in Hemmings, um, which I tell this quite a bit because everybody had a chance to buy this car. It was in Hemmings, um, for nine months for sale for $3,500, uh, listed as the movie car in 1969. And um, it was misspelled, actually, though, wasn't it? No, in okay. Hemmings, it wasn't. Um, and uh, actually, the second owner never saw it. In Hemmings. He was at a uh, he was at a party with and a friend of his and he was a Mustang fan. Um, he mentioned it to him and, uh, you know, lo and behold, he actually reached out to the guy that owned the car, but never saw the Hemmings article. Um, and that guy, the second owner, uh, his name's Frank. Um, and he's actually a detective. Uh, he was a homicide detective uh, in the seventies. Um, he's the one that bought it from Robert Ross. He lives in New Jersey, still lives in New Jersey, actually. And, uh, that's how it made it from California to New Jersey by train, um, was Robert Ross buying it from, or, uh, Frank Mariaka, his second owner bought it from Robert Ross. And, Robert, uh, you know, let it go. Uh, but he's definitely the, the reason that, you know, the car is what it is. Um, but it made it by train uh, from California to New Jersey in early 70, um, around April uh, 1970. And then uh, Frank uh, had the car for about four years. Um, he, he, it was funny. He goes, man, I would drive this to the bar on Friday night or Saturday night and tell people I own a bullet Mustang and no one cared. Um, <laughs> he goes, I, I got Time's to prove and I got documents in the glove box and everything. He's like, no one really cared that I own the car. And, uh, which solidifies the fact in the seventies, no one cared, you know, about movie cars. They weren't a thing. And, uh, so yeah, um, in 1974, uh, my sister was four years old. My dad had sold an MGB GT um, and uh, had gotten the blessing from my mother to buy another car. My dad was a big Carroll Shelby fan um, and was in the looks for a 68 Fastback, but was actually looking for a GT350. Um, and lo and behold, in back road and track, uh, you know, um, it was October 74. It was kind of a, just a, an interesting classified ad. Bullet was misspelled. Um, come to find out, Road and Tracks uh, editing department's the one that changed the spelling on it. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Because Bullet was misspelled, yeah. And uh, Frank got rid of the car because uh, his wife wanted the station wagon. And uh, that's why he sold the car. And it's funny to know Frank today. Frank says, in 1974, I sold the Bolt Mustang and I got divorced. He goes, I sure missed that car. <laughs> and it's funny. He says that so much so often. Um, but my dad was the only one to call, the only one to show up and drove away. It was a Friday afternoon. Car was sitting in the driveway when mom got home from school. And that became their new daily driver for the next six years. Um uh, they bought it with uh, 19,000 miles on it and it has 65,000 miles on it now. And, you know, they lived in Jersey. They, gosh, drove it to Maine, uh, upstate New York. Uh, my dad worked in the city, but he took the train into the city. But every now and again, him and mom and my sister would go look at a car in downtown New York or 
around that area looking at another car because that's what my dad was always doing it was either horses or cars or even property or houses um not the fact that he could even afford it he would just like to go and look at them um so that became their you know not just the weekend warrior it was the only car they had the only warrior and yeah the only warrior and uh sat in the driveway and you know his mom's daily driver during the week uh it was my dad's driver on the weekend and you know like i said you know in the 70s no one really cared and even beyond that um it was in new jersey and uh you know the car was all the way from california i think people were really expecting that it was bullet they were just seeing a 68 fastback that was the same color um and you know honestly that probably made my dad a little skeptical too uh, not until 77, uh, where McQueen actually reached out to my father to buy the car, um, did that solidify the fact that it was actually bullet and knowing my father, even after the fact that he said, no, he still continued to drive it daily, <laughs> uh, for the next three years. Um, it wasn't until I was born, uh, that the car got parked, uh, for numerous reasons. The fact most probably was the uh, New Jersey hated it as an emissions uh, car. Um, the WB sticker is in the bottom right of the windshield. Well, is that like an emission? Is that what? Oh, yeah, that's where they yeah, have to put so the emission the, stickers. Okay. Exactly. So New Jersey's law is you have to put this sticker in the bottom right of the windshield. Well, that's where the Warner Brothers sticker was oh, for the, the parking okay. pass for the lot. Mm. And Dad was like, I'm not scraping that off the windshield. <laughs> and so it was a fight every year. Uh, and it got to the point where it just became a pain. Uh, so they parked it, uh, bought a car that's a lot less important, which was a Plymouth Horizon. Which he still probably, which he still probably owned today as well. Oh, Sean, we lost yet. Uh, bullet actually sat in our garage from 1980 until 2016. Um, and, uh, <laughs> the funny part of it during this whole thing is that the car didn't do anything. We really didn't do anything and everything kind of just grew around it. Um, you know, it's, it's this whole tale of, you know, hide something for 50 years and it becomes, you know, this valuable piece, uh, the whole Indiana Jones piece of it. Uh, you know, so so looking looking at the history of the car, it, you said parked nineteen eighty. Um, it seemed like the there might have been. There. Oh. Sean, I think we're uh, we're losing you a little bit, bud. John? Oh, I'm sorry. You're good. You're good. Oh, so Sean, I, I was going to say, looking at the history of the car, you said it parked in nineteen eighty. It looked like there were maybe a few moments where it seemed like you guys were going to fix it up. I read that there was some engine work that might have been done at some point you know fits and starts was never quite the right time to start the restoration project you might have imagined uh, right so the car as it sits today it, it's drivable it's very much in a i, I won't say a like it, it's been used it, it looks like a car that was driven um as a daily driver for a while um so it's unrestored i don't know how original you'd say it was but are, are you are you kind of glad that you never got around to that now that it, it still is this kind of um, unre very unrestored car, you know, because if you had had oh. the time and the resources, you might've done a back to stock 1980s restoration on it. And we'd be looking at a very different um, kind of artifact today. So did oh, it work definitely. out? Yeah, actually. Um, so in 2001, when Ford came out with their first commemorative bullet, uh, my father and I started to take the car apart. 
never to restore it, never to freshen the paint, never to do anything to disrupt the history of so the that, car. So that that was never in the cards. The, the idea of a full on, you know, right? Yeah, point. because honestly, you know, here's the funny twist of this. I've been in the paint and body business since I was 15. and that's what i do uh and i've restored plenty of cars and you know race cars and all this i'm I'm a you know bona fide car nerd um but this car kind of scared the crap out of me and because you know i've restored plenty of cars but i've never restored one that the whole world was going to pick so and also on top of that i didn't want to disrupt what the car felt to me um when i was a kid and you know it, it always looked like this the way it looks now is how it looked the first time i ever saw it and i didn't want to disrupt that um but even on top of that the whole you know bullet aspect of it and like i said the car is absolutely beat to death so you'd be chasing it all the way around it and be replacing everything on it so the goal um was not to drive ourselves crazy but to make sure the car ran or at least started, stopped, and didn't catch on fire. Um, I didn't want to be pulling into a show or something, and it looked like a freight train and smoking and rattling and everything else. So my goal, um, actually my father and I's goal when we started in 2001, uh, was to take it apart, kind of clean it up, and then put it back together, freshen the motor, you know, do the the have-tos. And uh in 2001, I had my first daughter, and my dad uh, actually retired then and got Parkinson's, or progressively got Parkinson's. And so what would happen is I would go to work at the body shop. I'd come home, and there'd be another piece off the car. And there'd be, like, you know, bolts and wiring or something would be wrapped up, not labeled, and put somewhere else. Because uh, my dad, uh, God bless him, was great at taking a car apart, or anything <laughs> for that matter, apart. Horrible at labeling, <laughs> organizing, and putting back together. And uh, and the weird twist of that was we have a 75 911 uh, that sat next to the bullet since 86. That car, too, got taken apart while I was at work. It's also green. And it became, you know, a, uh, a mixed up with the bullet parts. And <laughs> after when I started to put the car together, and we live on a farm, with uh, barns and sheds and attics, and I'm telling you, it, it took me longer to to find the parts of the car than it did to put it together. And uh, yeah, this is one of those moments after my dad passed away where I was yelling at him uh, daily because uh, I couldn't find anything. And um, so yeah, it, it, we never got around to as a father and son team putting it back together or even. Uh, restoring it in 2008 we started again kind of digging into it pulled i was in drag racing pretty hard at the time and and had a friend of mine who ran a machine shop so i went through the motor um freshened it up and and you know made sure it was top notch um but when my dad passed away the car uh was still sitting on jack stands obviously but had nothing on it but the doors the dash and the glass and that was it um, and the reason it had that on it was the glass I didn't want it to break. It had the Warner Brothers sticker in there, and every time you pull a windshield, no matter what it is, you always end up cracking it. So that, you know, I didn't want to do. The dash I didn't have to take out because it was actually pristine, and the doors at least weigh 300 pounds a piece. So those I didn't want to take off because getting them back on would have been impossible. Um, so in 2016, uh, I got inspired and found all the parts of the car and put it back together. Um, 
And, you know, that's what you see today uh, is the way it runs. And actually, you know, what's funny about it is since the announcement with Ford and since me kind of coming out of the proverbial closet with the car, uh, the car has actually done better than I have. It, it hasn't it's done all it's running. It hasn't deteriorated whatsoever. Um, you know, I, I've really taken my paint and body kind of aspect to the where, you know, I'm in the painting and buffing and everything else. Um, I took that and turned it over to preservation with the car. Uh, so to making sure that it doesn't deteriorate or, uh, making sure that ultraviolet rays don't, you know, discolor the paint or make the rose red primer shine through or the original American racing wheels, which are magnesium and 51 years old, don't crack in half mm-hmm. while I'm driving it up, you know, Goodwood Festival speed. I mean, because whatever does happen with the car, if something was to come out of it, um, you know, it would be, it would be very aware everybody would be it would be on instagram or social instantly if i threw drive shaft went through the floor um and you know obviously at this point wouldn't be good for the resale of the car if the drive shaft went through the floorboard so um you know that that was something that i guess scared me uh mostly just making sure that it didn't deteriorate but even on top of that it wasn't a car that i could build and pull out in the road and go for a drive uh because of what it is i mean my neighbor across the street knew it was a 68 fastback he was he's a you know car nerd too but we couldn't tell him because you know we don't know who he's going to tell and this was such a secret so it's not something i could test into plus i live on a hill and as good as i am at doing brakes or whatever that still scares the crap out of me actually the last time i drove out of my driveway with it two months ago i had my wife in front of me because <laughs> i was scared I, the brakes would go out and i'd fly across the street so so was there a definite moment where you you felt like you were the owner of the family Mustang that just so happened to be the bullet car to like, the oh, day- oh crap, I'm a, I'm a steward of this thing. I got to actually be paranoid about the brake. You know, it sounds like there was a moment where you stopped being able to really enjoy it um, and started being concerned for it, if that makes sense. Was that when it was unveiled to the public and the, 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 the covers were off of it and everybody kind of knew? Um. No, I'm going to tell you the day it happened was April or uh, October 17th, 2017. Uh, it was the first time I ever got the car in second gear. So it was my test and tune day. Uh, it really wasn't supposed to be my test and tune day. It was uh, at Dearborn, at Ford's uh, test track in Dearborn. And that was the day of the uh, Jay Leno's garage photo or the, when we shot that for Leno's garage. Um, so I had about 30 minutes to test the car, make sure the wheels didn't fall off before Leno drove it, I did the interview. Um, that was the moment that I think that it turned over to become, you know, Oh my God, I don't want, you know, I don't want to disappoint everybody else. Mm. Uh, I want the car obviously to be good, but I don't want everybody else to be disappointed about what I've built. Um, I guess at that point probably is, was when I became aware uh, of what it was, um, because to that point it was blood, sweat and tears to get it ready. Uh, but then all of a sudden it hits you that Leno is driving your car. You're doing an interview about your dad's the first time you've ever done it. Um, and you know, you, you've built a car that the whole world's going to see and, oh my God, this is bigger than me. Um, then at that point it became, okay, I've got to protect this car. Uh, and you know, I, I'm, I'm third on the list or fourth on the list. Um, and I think that was probably the biggest point. It wasn't until, um, 
probably three or four months into after unveiling, so probably April or May of last year, 2018, uh, that I started to notice the perception of the vehicle. If people didn't know the story, um, they just saw it as a uh, 68 fastback that needs restoration. So they leaned on it. Um, They (laughs) wouldn't let me into certain places because I don't put stickers on the car. So this even happens today. Uh, You know, pulling into SEMA, uh god a month ago um it took 15 minutes because people wouldn't let me in they thought i was guy like there's some guy off the street trying to get into the front door of sema that's insane to um me. yeah and, and and what the funny thing is is after the fact that people realize what it is um then i've got free reign they're then they're like you know golf carts around and police escorts um it, it's just it goes from one side to the other and that to me is what's toughest because i am not this eccentric car guy with this huge collection that happens to have bullet, I am a guy with a two car garage uh, <laughs> with bullet. And if I wasn't to sell the car, the car would come home to a two car garage. And believe it or not, I've had people knock on my door asking to see my collection. Sure. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Can we go back and just fill in the gap about how Ford then approached you? About- oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because- uh, 2016, yeah. That was a uh, um, because you so, went for so long, probably hearing you know every so often stories would come up and it would be like this car, this long missing car, nobody knows where this car is, and right. you know obviously you and your family the whole time <laughs> always knew it was in your two car garage, but at some point yeah. Ford approached you or how did that come about? Oh, definitely no, I, I love that part of it. Um, yeah, it's funny, though, uh, to touch on what you said, uh, uh, where people say it's lost. And it's funny because I tell them, I was like, it's never lost. I saw it every day uh, <laughs> you know, sitting in the garage. Um, yeah. So in 2016, so was, uh, I fired a car up for the first time ever, July 4th, 2016. Uh, and the bullet plates that are on it, um, that was the first time those plates were ever put on it. Uh, my mom got those from my father on their uh, 10-year wedding anniversary in 79. And uh, Dad never put them on the car. They hung on my uh, bedroom wall my whole life. So first time I fired the car up, July 4th, 2016, the plates were on it. So then I started to get nervous because the car actually runs and moves a little bit. And uh, so I wanted to not only kind of verify the car, but on top of that, I need to do insure it. And again, I don't have this car collection with bullet. I just have bullet with a collection of cars that no one cares about. So I didn't know how to approach that. Um, but I knew who to call and that was Kevin Marty. Uh, and Kevin Marty, who, uh, is more or less the Mustang Godfather, um, can, authenticate any Mustang built after 1967 and for that fact actually any Ford um so I contacted him first and uh let him see the car uh and he authenticated it uh you know and that was kind of an emotional day uh, I think for both of us because not only was I wanting somebody outside the family to see the car uh, he had been searching for this car his whole life as well. So it was something for us. I think that was, uh, both of us coming together. We were instant family. Um, after that fact, uh, I became really good friends with Mikhail Haggerty. Uh, and, uh, that's how I insured the car. And, uh, that was probably one of the larger steps because at that point he introduced me to Mark Gessler, uh, who was the president of the historic vehicle association, 
Um, that's how I got on the registry for that. Uh, but the Ford aspect of it, um, I knew that the only way I wanted to unveil this car was with Ford. Um, I knew that the 50th anniversary of the car, uh, the movie was coming up. Um, they were very big on anniversaries. So I put two and two together knowing that they would be coming out with a new bullet. Um, but they didn't know I existed. Um, and I didn't know the aspect of what they were doing in their future. So Kevin Marty, uh, had a, has a friend, um, who at the time he is now retired was the, uh, director of service for Ford. So one of the, one of the larger guys there, and he has this, uh, eccentric Mustang collection of at least a hundred Mustangs, um, and brought him into the cone of silence. And he set up a meeting in November 16 with Ford and the Mustang team. And I more or less snuck in the back door uh, because I had to, my wife's family all worked for Ford. I didn't tell them until the day I actually unveiled, um, because I didn't want them to accidentally tell the world, uh, her father, who I love, uh, dearly. Um, he's the guy that accidentally tells you who won first, second, and third in every race <laughs> before you've watched it. Um, and if I was to tell him I own bullet Mustang, the whole world would know it before I fell asleep. Um, so I didn't actually tell him until the day before. So him being the electrician there, he, he's one of the master master electricians. He has, you know, free reign of the whole place. So I didn't want to be walking through the halls of Ford with the Mustang team and then him see me and go, what are you doing here? And why are you with these guys? And why would you let me know you're in town? So I snuck in the back door, have this meeting with Ford. And uh, in the meeting, they more or less tell me that, uh, they had a couple of cars on the, that they were thinking about doing. Uh, I told them, uh, I own the original car and then they said, well, we're going to build a new bullet and we're going to dedicate it to your father and we're going to make it amazing. And we're going to unveil at the same time together. And, uh, yeah, at that point they, you know, I was like a kid just with all these die cast cars and everything. And this, everything you've been dreaming about being able to talk about this Mustang has been in your garage your whole life. Now all of a sudden you're getting to see clay models of the new Mustang that they're dedicating to your father. I mean, 2016 to me was a surreal moment and 2017 was too. Um, but being able to unveil with Ford, having Kevin Marty authenticate the car, having Leno be the first person to drive the car, the last thing I wanted to do was to unveil and somebody go, that's not real. Because I had this such emotional connection with the car, I didn't want somebody to go, "This that's fake. You know, does that make sense? Because, I mean, for me, uh, you know, this is the most personal thing that I have. I, I didn't want somebody to go, that's not real. And the only, the only regret I think I, I have or not regret even, but the only thing I wish, uh, the only stuff my dad heard bullet related was negative when he passed away mm. because everything that was online was, you know, where's the car? Why isn't the guy that uh, owns it? Doesn't show it. He's a hoarder and all this bad stuff. I really wish that he would have been able to see the amount of respect and love that, everybody not only had for the car, but for him and how he preserved it. Um, I think he would have gotten a kick out of that. So, so when you, um, you know, in the build up to, and then the unveil and then this whirlwind tour with the car that kind of took you all over the country and world, um, were you still saying, I want to keep this in the family or was your perception of what you wanted to do with the car 
um, shifting as it kind of came back into the public eye? I mean, when when did you decide that uh, maybe it's time to to let this thing go? Um, you know, when I came out uh, with it, I always told my wife, and my we we kind of decided before I even unveiled, we're not going to talk money or future uh, with the car um, until you know we're going to get not in 2018. So at the end of the year, I was going to put it in a museum for a short amount of time, seeing if I could handle the car being not at my house. So if I could handle my garage, uh, missing bullet, um, and not doing anything bullet related, uh, and sit down and stare at the car in the museum and go, okay, what are we going to do? What's cause you know, I had no idea what was going to happen. I, I didn't know if I'd come out and everybody would go, okay, there it is. <laughs> and then I'd go back home. You know, I mean, I, I didn't know. So yeah, it, when I came out with it, it was extremely, extremely, uh, emotional. Um, yeah, there was no way in the world I would have sold it at that point because of the emotional connection and the therapeutic process I was going through in my head, uh, just to, with my father and I couldn't sit in the car and not feel him with me. Um, but not until November of last year, I was heading to SEMA. Um, so the car was already at in Vegas. Uh, the keys were in my pocket. I was still at home. My wife had emergency surgery. She was in, uh, in surgery for six and a half hours. The following morning, uh, she's in recovery. I have to leave and go to Vegas because the keys are in my pocket. I don't want to let anybody move the car. Uh, because again, perception is, is reality most of the time. So, here I am, wife barely out of surgery, and I have to leave. Um, during that day, I instantly found that, you know, I could feel my father going, look, this isn't why I left the car. This isn't the legacy. The legacy is family and the farm and everybody being together. It has nothing to do with having a car and you having to be out on the road all the time. You know, I, I think it's amazing that the respect and the positivity and everything that the car has around it and everybody's getting to see it and, and those feelings of seeing the movie for the first, first time, whether it was by themselves with their sons or with their dads, I mean, all that's coming, you know, rushing forward and the feelings and the emotion, but the car, that's not why my dad left it. My dad left it uh, to be part of the legacy, but not to be the legacy. And I think that was the deciding moment for me to go, okay, I need to start thinking about my life without bullet. And it really took me six months to decide. Um, and during that six months, it was at the LeMay Museum in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, they took care of it. They were amazing stewards of it at that point. And uh, I basically left it alone and out of my head and out of my garage. And at the end of that, I, you know, I came out of it going, Okay. And then during this whole process, I had been kind of vetting every auction house and every auction and throughout the whole time, because every event that I would go to, there would be an auction, whether it was Amelia Island or any of these other, uh, you know, things that we do Monterey and everything else. And, uh, yeah, in the end it was always going to be Meekum because of the, you know, down to earth America, wholesome feeling, but it was more family. I think than anything. And that emotionally uh, was able for me to connect with the car harder than it would be to go with any other auction house. Sean, what's the reception been since you announced at during Monterey car week that you'd be selling the car? What, what kind of feedback have you gotten 
Um, you know, it's, it's funny at first it's, Oh my God, I'd never sold my dad's car. Um, and then uh, they'll hear me talk for a little bit and they're like, Oh, okay. I get it. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't, it, it never starts good. <laughs> it always starts. I can't believe you're selling this car. It's been in your family for 46 years. Um, you know, I don't think it, and then they start to hear, you know, okay, you not only have been everywhere on the planet with it, you've driven it everywhere. You're the one that takes care of it. You are, you know, stressing over it and you're on the hook it, for insurance for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, big which, hook, which um, I can't imagine it's cheap. It's, it's, that's no, I, I've met people with amazing collection of cars <laughs> that their insurance premium is as much as mine. <laughs> and I have this one car and some tractors. Um, so, you know, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it beats you up, um, because you have to be there. You have to, you know, be at a certain spot. And it, it became earlier this year, apparent to me that bullet was controlling me. Um, it wasn't that way when I was coming out with the car or starting to unveil and go to these shows, it would be okay. I want to do this show, go here. By the end of 2018, Bullet was, was controlling my life. Um, it was telling, you know, it was people reaching out going, you know, we want you here, we want you there. And I hate saying no to people, but the guy calling going, hey, we'd love you to have you at Cars and Coffee in Albuquerque, New Mexico Saturday. Can you do it? And I'm like, look, I'm in Nashville. There's no way. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they're hexing your life, you know, in your house. They're like, you know, okay, you're not who we thought you were. And, you know, that became disheartening almost um so you know it, it's i love having the car and and it to me it will always be my father's car but at the end of the day um like i think we all are we're we we own these cars to drive them and i love starting the car and any chance that i get to drive it i take it and run and they have to stop me um, which also freaks out the insurance company. Um, but to me, uh, you know, I want to build a car and be able to drive the crap out of it. I don't want to, you know, what we've called my car now is the trailer queen of cool because that's what she is. I mean, she, you fire it up and you drive the trailer and you get on and hopefully nobody abuses you between where you were at and where you're going. Um, and that's not why I have this car. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, uh, it's become this thing that I absolutely love and, uh, you know, it's, it's given my family so much these past 46 years, but I think that the new owner will see bullet for something else, not what I see it for. So that to me also kind of it makes it, makes it cool, makes it okay. Uh, because bullet has so much love to give in so many different ways. Uh, yeah, I think that she deserves a new life, and I deserve to go back to line a little bit. Um, yeah. So it's it's heading to the Meekum Kissimmee sale. Um, you've been looking at the catalog, seeing if there's anything you might pick up. Um, you know, trade one car for another. You could always get that GT three fifty R or yeah. GT three fifty your your dad wanted. Oh yeah, N no, the no time. kidding. Well, <clears throat> so I've <laughs> I've gone to a couple auctions here recently uh, because showing the car at it. Life has told me if I don't build a garage, I can't bring home a car. Um, Sounds like you're building so, a garage. I, I, I am building a garage. <laughs> so, um, I am waiting till the January 10th sale to see what size the garage will be. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's at the end of the day what wags the wags the dog there. So we'll see. Uh, if the car does well, then bigger the garage. 
Sean, can I just say that your story, even though it's about a very specific car and a very specific important car that that all of us know and love from the movie and, and onward, the story that you tell is something I think that a lot of people can relate to, families bonding over a shared passion, a, fair, a shared car. And, and um, I think that your story only goes to... Um, kind of expand the bullet story, if you will. And mm. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. can relate to the emotions that you've had through this whole this whole journey the last few years. Oh, definitely. I, I think that that's what makes it kind of romantic is that I am just like everybody else. I'm a paint and body guy and, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm not some, you know, like, like I said, a collection of 100 cars and bullets, one of them. This thing is, uh, I'm just an average guy with uh, an eccentric car and an amazing rare car. And anybody, I think, can see themselves in my situation um, because I, I can see myself in, in, in any other situation, mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, uh, with any other rare car. But that's another thing that I think that I love about this is that, you know, when the car does sell and it being what it is i I would hope that it would beat out the super snake at 2.2 but if it becomes the most valuable mustang um you know with that going down in the history books and my family being attached to it um i can't think of another mustang that'll come around that will beat that so i think that's probably another huge box checked um for me uh because what what better closure than to sell the most valuable Mustang. Mm-hmm. And what better, I mean, love letter to your dad for preserving and acknowledging the importance of the car for it to become the most expensive public yeah. traded Mustang in the history of collecting cars. Yeah, right. I mean, How cool would that be, right? Especially since, again, you've said it's not, not in the greatest condition. I think everybody who's seen it um, knows that. But uh, again, geez, to not have been restored Res- yeah. o- over restored or the, the customized to preserve pro streeted in the 80s just because you, you know out. <laughs> so exactly yeah, through this, out. yeah chain of events um you were preserving cars before it was even cool <laughs> yeah and i love that yeah and uh you know i've i've become this whole preservation over restoration kind of thing of course i got forced into it but, <laughs> um I mean, you got I, pretty I, good I at it i imagine yeah yeah i i uh, i love it and uh somehow i just uh i think it found me i didn't find it but you know um it, it's uh I, i've just found this whole new love for it and for me it's just freezing something in time and you know i think it's for it's not so much that i wanted the car to be what it was in bullet i wanted it to be what it was when i was a kid mm-hmm. and i i think that you know uh I mean, as weird as it is, it smells exactly it was when I was six, you know? I mean, the car smells exactly the same. So it instantly sends you back uh, to your childhood. And hell, who wouldn't want that, you know? So I love that part of it. Sean, I have to ask, I know you're building a barn and there's no public uh, knowledge of what you're looking at next, besides maybe some more tractors. But uh, what what <laughs> what's next? I mean, you're going to sell the car in the, was it the, uh, the 10th? Uh, and then the what, 10th of January. The 10th yeah, of January. Friday. What are you going to do that Saturday? Like, what's what do you have planned? Something has to be planned, um, I imagine. Yeah, well, uh, I wouldn't say it would be the day after. But uh, I'd say when you know I get home, my dad did have, a like I said, that Porsche he took apart. Um, 
that's going to be uh, my main new focus because uh, every car that's on the property here um, gets no love because of Bullet. So I'm going to try to make it up to them. And believe it or not, the Porsche means as much to me as Bullet does uh, because it has been sitting in my garage since I was a kid also. And it too smells exactly the same <laughs> it did when I was six years old. Um, so yeah, that'll be the new passion project, but there is also a 68 fastback Esco 390, uh, in my future that I will build, um, because I do have all the specs of the motor, the driveline, uh, everything, the, the suspension, um, and I will absolutely drive that car everywhere and no one will cut, will care. And, uh, and I, I'm looking forward to that the most, uh, is probably, uh, just getting out and hammering down that car. Cool. Well, Sean. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, looking forward to that sale. It's going to be such a moment in car culture history to see Bullet cross the block. And again, to see your father's car for you sell it the biggest uh, Mecham uh, auction. Yeah. My sister and I are driving it up on the block. and uh, That's cool. Yeah. I guess it's... I don't, I don't know. It's a little hard. It might be hard for you to say, but do you do you have any sense of where you'd like to see it end up? Um, do you want it to stay on public display? You do you want it to go into the hands of somebody who treats it basically the same way you did? I don't don't want to keep you too yes. long, but no, 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 you're fine. Um, yeah, I would love somebody to buy it because of the romance of the story, and somebody to continue like what I've been doing. Um, somebody that can afford to do it, not only the money aspect of it, because I'm going to tell you now, no one wants to pay you to see your, your car. They want your car there, but they won't pay you to do it. Um, so it, it does become this expensive venture. Uh, but beyond that, even the time part of it. So I would love for somebody to that can handle it or that has a team that can handle it uh, to continue to have it at shows or even, you know, maybe do a museum tour of sorts. Um, but yeah, public eye for sure. Um, I don't know that I want to see it so much, um, but I would love for the public to continue to see it. Um, I, I think I would be in the situation of, uh, I'm, I'm good <laughs> because if, if it's not in my garage, I don't want to see it. Um, because I think that'd be emotional every time I would see it. Well, I don't think anybody, anybody would argue with that. I mean, anybody who has an heirloom piece that eventually sells it knows they never want to see that again. So exactly. Got to yeah. got to respect that. But again, Sean, definitely looking forward to the sale, looking forward to seeing you on the TV, uh and hoping that this car brings the money we all think it does. Not uh, money oh, doesn't matter, that. but it it I think it's going to be huge. Yeah, I'm I'm looking I'm well, it's funny. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm scared to death at the same time. So, uh and I'm trying to appreciate it because uh man, it's not that far away. No, it's right around the corner. <laughs> yeah, before long, Christmas and New Year's will be over, and then 10 days after that, I'm selling the car. So, yeah, time's going a little too quick currently, uh, but it, very much looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank you, Sean. Oh, thank you, guys. And we are back with the Auto Week fleet again. Man, I love doing the Auto Week fleet section. Uh, this is probably one of the best things that we've changed in a long time. We just get to talk about press cars, press fleet cars that we drive constantly, driving them. Still in the fleet. We have the Lexus UX250HF Sport Premium Type RS Come uh, on. Luxury Edition. That name. I'm just kidding. So bad. Um, the Subaru Legacy Sport, which we will talk about not now. 
but next week. I only drove it for one day, but it seemed good. I had it. It over looks the week. great. It looks really good. I had it over the weekend. I'm okay. driving it all week. Nice. Okay. So that's your standard. I drove it one day. Didn't break down. <laughs> yeah. Solid car. Car of the year. A plus. Uh, Honda Accord Sport manual transmission, which we're going to dive deep into in just a little bit. The Mercedes GLC 300. Not coupe. Not coupe. A real SUV, which we're not going to dive deep into this time, but uh, I drove it. I think it's fine. Anybody else think it's fine? I didn't drive it, but I drove uh, one on launch and it was fine. Mini Cooper S Countryman. I haven't been in that yet. Is, has anyone been in that? I think no. Warner's still in it. Just Robin. I think Robin, that's actually Robin's personal car now. I think Robin owns mm. that. He does like BMWs. If we, uh, if we ever see he him does. again, if we ever see him again, we can get him on here to talk about it. Cadillac XT6, which is coming in today, replacing the Lexus GX460, which Lingaman gave it the stamp of most car per dollar. Actually, uh, that was already exchanged for the Honda CRV. Oh. Uh, the other car that's leaving will uh, be exchanged for that. Um, what I said, Graham wasn't here for that. I said it was a lot of car for the money, is what I said. More car for the money than a Volvo V60 Polestar. But that's last week. This week, we're also talking about the Land Rover, Range Rover, Evoque. But let's start the Honda. I haven't driven it yet. Graham, you spent some good time I on did, it. yeah. I will, uh, I'll be writing the review online for it. And... Um, Let's 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 start where we need to start. Manual transmission. Yeah, in a, uh, in a midsize so sedan. This is the Accord 2.0T Sport with the six-speed manual. Um, yeah, I was I was really pleasantly surprised with this. Um, I, I mean, I've been in the the new Accord. I mean, it's not so new now. They've they've it's been out for a couple of years, but been impressed every time. Um, was really impressed with the engine and transmission combo this time. Uh, I think all of us are quick to recommend the Mazda 6 as a good, um, you know, not luxury sedan. And I'd probably go with this particular combo this time around. Uh, I think the the 6 is a prettier car. I think better interior probably. Um, better steering feel. Um, yeah. But this but Accord was was really sharp. Um, I hit an, on ramp, or an off ramp pretty fast in it. And even though it doesn't have great steering feel, um, really great handling and the uh, doesn't have the traditional super light Honda. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's not not a lot it's of sort feedback. Of overboosted. I just spent the weekend in it. Mm. As far as that versus the Mazda, I think if someone asked me on the street, I would just say whatever you can get the best deal on because it's really a draw as far as I'm concerned. Right. Well, they're see, both really good. Well, but the Honda offers the manual with the, that's the good engine, right? Because I know it offers a 1.5 too. Right. So this this is the well, the 1.5 is good too. That's yeah, they're both good. This one's better. This is the two liter. This is the yeah. This is the range topper engine. It's it's kind of a variant of the the Civic Type R engine um, without the without the boy racer uh, engine cover on it, um, and without the Gundam uh, homage yeah, body which, kit. And, you know. and on the looks thing, um, I think the Mazda still does look a little bit better. But damn, this Accord with the Sportback, they they're looking pretty good these days. The grill is still a little bit weird to me. Um, yeah, it's, it's got a very long, flat front end. Um, just a big chrome bar across the front too. It's kind of weird, but Mazda flows a little bit better visually. Um, but yeah, the powertrain obviously it's got to be better in the Honda. <coughs> um, like I said, hand links better in the Mazda. Uh, the room. That thing's got a huge trunk too. That that Accord. That it seems very utilitarian. Yeah, it has kind of a budget Audi A7, uh, you know, fastback. Not, real budget. Not, not true lift liftback. Yeah, real budget. It comes in just under thirty two thousand, which puts it. I mean, what, that's insane. This is like the. This is like the. It's like the best version of the average 
family sedan and right down to like being the average new car price pretty much. Yeah, and I would say the Mazda certainly has more flavor, more soul, but like it's got the, the Accord's probably the better car. It's got the, Accord, would you say it's got the Kodo soul of motion? I would, I would. I would say that. Yeah, no, but we all know that, honestly, that Mazdas are better handling, um, feeling cars than almost anything else on the road, the non-luxury category, non-sports car category. But, yeah, the Accord is so good. And what's the power now? 250, 273 or something on that, I think. Um, they are fast as hell the last one i drove i just remember thinking like this car is so fast it needs a better suspension like the suspension is still pretty soft and it almost makes you want to drive real fast and take turns real fast but it's not quite as equipped as the uh, mazda 6 252 252 and 273 i think for the torque yeah it's uh it's quick man it is, it is very quick no more v6 but still super quick it's, it's impossible to get a v6 in an accord right yes that, that, it's gone yep they're all but, turbo fours yep but I mean, I'm fine with that. I, oh, I, yeah. yeah, that doesn't bother me. The no. V6 and the Accord Sport, the previous generation, of course, was was fine. But I remember that thing being very expensive. Uh, I remember like arguing that you could get. I, I know they're completely different cars. You could get a Mustang GT for about the same price as an Accord Sport, and that's like that's a lot of car. Why? Why? Why would you even? I, obviously, there you no one would cross shot. That's almost right. as much car as a Lexus GX. Almost, almost, not, almost. not as much though. Almost. So my question is, how do we sell this car to that friend of ours who we we know they're already going to buy a, a, a CRV? I mean, it's pretty yeah. much a given. How do we sell this car to them instead? It's going to fail, but you know, in the interest of preserving manual equipped uh, family sedans. Well, I, am I assuming they don't care that it's fun to drive? I mean, they'll they'll tell you that they want a fun to drive car, but ultimately they, they, do they, yeah, they, they don't just really want care. you to ver- they just want you to validate what they've already decided they're going to buy. Uh, here, here, here's what I would do: I would bring them <clears throat> to a Honda store, show them an Odyssey, and be like, "This is the car you need." Right. This, this is actually the this car is you the need. car you need, and then show them an Accord Sport with a stick and say, "This is more fun," and then show them a Type R and be like. This is and don't even, even show fun. them the CRV. Pretend it doesn't. No, no, exist. it doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Honda can sell those without us trying, so we we don't need to help them sell the CRV. But I will I will get behind and try to help sell an Accord Sport with a stick, not the automatic one. Wow, or CVT for, for thirty one. Yeah, we uh, right at the average transaction price, which I think is what thirty three. Thirty two, thirty three. Yeah. yeah, so it's right there. I mean that's a lot of car for the money, and with the manual transmission, I I don't see a no, I don't see a problem. With it's that. not four wheel drive, so we can't go swamping in it. No, definitely not. No. I did take that Lexus out to the cottage over the weekend, though, and I was all over it. Grass and mud and dirt and ruts. Uh, it kind of felt like it was going to blow apart. But that's another, uh, that's another story for another day. But um, I drove another of these Accord Sports last year, kind of right after they uh, entered the fleet. And I remember loving it. I remember it, I remember it handling great. I mean, yeah, it's a little soft, but it's not supposed to be like a rattle-your-teeth-out sports car. And uh, I'm looking forward to driving uh, this one. I guess I would say, uh, you know, as much as we bemoan every loss of a sedan in the in the market i mean i know <clears throat> uh buick just announced they were going all suv yeah um, getting rid of the opals all the regals uh yeah rebadged opals are, are gone um which is unfortunate but i'm even, sad about that wagon going away it's a bummer yeah the uh regal uh tour uh although you can probably get a smoking deal on one now probably um, can and i would say that you know as much as like the sedans seem to be vanishing um there's still cars like this out there. So, you know, if, if you're if you're one of those guys who said, you know, oh, I wish they would keep buying a sedan, well, go, you know, go freaking buy it. It's, it's right there. It's a misnomer that a little bit in that, you know, the, the general rule of thumb is 
passenger cars don't sell as well. But I think the fact of the matter is, is that Ford and Chrysler and GM passenger cars don't sell as well. Yeah, everybody I, else is. They still sell plenty of Camrys. Oh yeah, and Accords and Sonatas. Hundreds and hundreds, almost a half million a year, I think, for the Camry. I think it's like three and a half, three hundred. I mean, I don't really buy into this notion that That's passenger almost cars million. don't sell. That's almost as many people as listen to the podcast. Almost, almost, yeah. No, you're you're right, but I think the the perception it kind of becomes this feedback loop. Oh, this this whole segment's on its way right, out. Might exactly. as well just I don't might as well true. just give up and get the 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 crossover. loaded crossover. And yeah, I mean this this is case right. in point. I, I would I would be scared to think that if someone's looking for a new car, they start researching online. Everyone says that uh, sedans are dead, and they walk into the dealership like, "Well, sedans are dead, so I guess I'm looking for a for a crossover." But but that Buick Regal Sportback was the best looking Regal, well, not ever, but the best looking Regal in recent memory, and now it's gone. And it was a good performer too. The not, uh, not quite gone. The GS, the uh, yeah, Regal GS with the turbo engine. Was a fun car to drive. The Tourx I really liked. I thought that was a great little car. When my wife was looking for a car, I ta- tried to get her to get one, but she. What'd she get instead? I'm not telling. You. <laughs> a, an Equinox. No. no. An XT4. No. XT5. A- yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was close. I was She's trading that in for an XT4. Ironically. Ooh, I'm uh, always right in the end. You are a part of the problem. But even the Tourx is not even a small. I I, it's like a midsize. Anyway. I feel like that's a midsize. Um, Wagon, right? I mean, it's that's midsize-ish. Okay, yeah, it's small end of midsize. But think how cool it would be if Mazda did a six wagon and Honda did an Accord wagon. Look, here, here's the thing: the though. old Mazda it six would, wagon was very, awesome. That'd be very cool. It no be, one would buy it. It would be very I cool. Know, no but, one would buy yeah. it. It's like when we when we posted about the the Buick um, SUV occasion of the lineup, people were posting online. Oh, if they had just made a a Tour X with a the Regal GS powertrain and a manual yeah, and all wheel right. drive, it's like, man, no, you. No one would buy that car. With a huge Subaru turbo. sells wagons and so does Volvo. They sell a lot of wagons. They're getting a lot taller. and uh, Yeah, they are. That's true. Yeah. I would I'd, say, like, if you uh, complain about that, like, you have to buy one. Like, you right, can't complain yeah. about that unless you ha- have had one or will go buy one. I think the best Subaru wagon right now is lifted and called a Crosstrek. I like the Crosstrek. It's kind of dorky looking. But here's I think the plan. Cool. Every time somebody says that they would buy this unicorn combination of cars... We come up with what the price of that car would have to be, and then they put up a deposit for it. At least 20%. And then I take that 20% deposit and safeguard it until that car arrives. Yeah. And I will totally not just blow that money on whatever. No, 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 no. no. Genius idea. It'll be like an escrow account, basically. Valve lifting jobs. (laughs) Those valves don't lift themselves, you know? Um, You know, I want to say one quick thing about this legacy because I did spend one night and I'm about to drive it for a week. There isn't. What is GT about that car? It's good for over the road traveling. It's a good traveler. Does it have GT badges on it? Uh, It's a a legacy GT. It's a legacy sport. Okay, so what's sporty about it? That CVT man? No, it's not. Uh, it's it not gets, it gets, uh, Subaru made some rally cars once. It gets all the serious sport channels. You have the NFL network. You have yeah. the NBA Ooh. network. You have uh, NHL network. No, that's the, this is the legacy sports. Yeah, sports edition. You can listen to sports. sports. We'll yeah. 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 Got it. Sorry. I understand now. But we'll talk more about that next Sorry, week. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump your No, back. that's good. That's You're good. fine. You're fine. That's a little teaser for next L- week. A little teaser for the sports edition. I think uh, it's Huey Lewis in the News soundtrack. Basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's what? And it comes with an almanac. It comes with the sports almanac, so you can gamble. Nice. If you go back to the future. Um, But moving on. What? Moving away from... It's a back uh, to the future reference. Moving away from uh, sedans, which are still very much alive. Crossovers. 
which are very much king. The Land Rover, Range Rover, Evoque, not Cross Cabriolet, which is a, or what do they call that? The, Just convertible. Oh, Evoque yeah. convertible. It's not the convertible, which I'm very sad about. Oh my about. God, I forgot about that thing. You can Everyone ne- did. Never, never forget about the Evoque convertible and death it has a name. It lived from 2017 to the year of our Lord 2018 before it was canceled. <laughs> But this is obviously a fixed top variant of the Evoke, which is the only variant you can get right this now. This is the Evoke fixed head uh, coupe. Oh, yeah, nice. Evo- yeah, yeah. The Evoke fixed head. Uh, well, uh, Grand Tour, it's not quite the coupe. Um, I had it for a couple days. And uh, man, is it definitely a Land Rover. It has Land Rover badged everywhere on it. Well, it's a Range Rover. but Oh, yeah, Range Rover. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this came out in 2011, the Evoke, and then it was redesigned in 2018. And uh, I... What was a new one? Yeah, yeah, new, redesigned, whatever. It's still an Evoque. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a new generation, though, in yeah, 2018. Yeah, that, that's like saying, yeah, the new Impala, the front-wheel drive Impala, it's still an Impala, still an X-Frame Impala, except it's completely different because they have the same name. Um, so when they redesigned it in 2018, it actually became good-looking. Like, I did not like it does the, look good. the first look of it. Um, it was kind of uh, angular and didn't really look like a, like a Range Rover. Now it kind of has more Range Rover styling cues, um, and it looks great. And the one we have is like in a battleship gray type color, which is good, yeah. um, which I like. Uh, and the interior is great. I mean, the you know leather's all good. It's got the, the double screen thing, like these uh, a lot of these new cars are doing now. Um, and the double screen in this rangey looks, I mean, it works pretty well. I like that it has the knobs b- baked into the glass, which is a, yeah. a very fun thing. So the it's got the two knobs, which are kind of like climate control knobs, but also when you press them, they go into the seat, seat heat, mode, yep. seat heat knobs, which which is good. Um, there's really nothing that can. There's nothing that can do the temperature or volume or tuning, for that matter, better than the knob because yeah. the, the either pressing the button much times or even it. the sliders, like uh, like Raynal hates. You know what um, I call seat heaters? <laughs> uh, heat seaters constantly, and I don't know why. I've, I've heard that before for sure. Um, so this one's the more expensive one, uh, the R Dynamic HSC. It's got the 296 horsepower uh, mild hybrid. Um, is it 48? Is it 48 volt like some of those? I don't remember, but. Um, Nine-speed automatic, all-wheel drive, obviously. Uh, so my first problem with this car is that it doesn't feel like a Range Rover when driving it. Like the two liters kind of buzzy, and it doesn't seem well muted, and it doesn't feel like hefty, like I want a Range Rover to feel. I mean, obviously, you know, you need to make a small crossover because everyone's buying small crossovers, but it just doesn't feel like a Range Rover to me. No, see, I, I didn't. I was just in it over the weekend, and I actually thought, this particular implementation of the motor was better, you know, as far as as far as smaller displacement motors went. I thought it was not bad, and you're right; it it doesn't have heft. Um, I don't remember the last time I was in a Villar, which is again kind of a weird twist. It's like a slightly longer or more cargo space equipped version of the same car, right? Um, yeah. And I'm I'm wondering if this is supposed to be more the uh, Range Rover Sport and the Junior, and the Villar is supposed to be the Range Rover Junior kind of. Yeah, there's something like that. Yeah, because yeah. it is, it, it, it's basically the same starting price as a Velar, um, more or less, um, just under fifty-seven thousand. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it the, it's getting yeah, a little this, muddy. I'm sorry, what, just under what? Th- this one starts at fifty-five eight hundred for the for the top of the you know top performance uh, and as tested sixty-seven yeah. one hundred, so almost seventy grand. Compared to the Lexus GX four seventy, not a lot of car for seventy grand. It, I, I would argue. It is not a lot. Not as not as much not as much car. Yeah. Um, also, fewer it, horsepower. Did it? It felt a little buzzy though. I thought like the four cylinder kind of 
permeated the cabin, the four-cylinder sound permeated the cabin. And if you're going to put a four-cylinder in, a, you know, what should be a, you know, luxury baller style vehicle, at least make me not hear it. Okay, well, you're not going to feel like a baller in an Evoke, man. No, it's it's but, the balling on a budget is in I fact always not actually like a baller. Balling. I try to feel like a baller in every car. See, that's the problem, Graham. You got to feel like a baller every day, no matter what you're well, driving. That's the state of mind. The it thing is, is, the, is, the thing is, Jake, uh, I, I mean, I disagree with Graham. I think that you are balling in a $70,000 SUV that has Range Rover plastic all over it. It's crazy. But that's the thing. It has Range Rover plastic all over it, so no right. one no one cares that it's a four-cylinder. Right. Yeah, you're right. I know. The the You have the the badge presence of a, a rangey. And it looks for, good. You know, it and does, it does look, look great. Good. You know, parked in front of a fancy restaurant, it looks I, great. I found a solution for your buzzy uh, engine permeating the cabin. Earplugs? No, if you just crank the volume on whatever podcast or uh, Spotify, Spotify rap, by the way, if you get a chance, look at your yearly wrap up on Spotify. Hopefully, the Auto Week podcast is in there because um, it does follow podcast metrics. Nice. Um, just if you crank the volume up, on whatever you're listening to, it fixes it. It's true. I, I do get that. And, it and it not, goes right away. And not annoyingly slow, you know, quick. You it know, felt peppy. I'll yeah. call it quick and nimble, I mean, which is ba- good. Basically I do like, 300 horsepower. It's like, what, 296 or something? Yeah, and I, I like nimble. You know, nimble is one of my favorite uh, attributes in a car. There's still these weird uh, Land Rover, Range Rover, Jaguar problems, though. Like, uh, I had this this infotainment system, which was kind of an Achilles heel of every Jag Land oh, Rover yeah. product we've had in the past couple of years. Mostly because they don't work. It's a little better, a little faster. Still some little weird some things quirks. with connecting my phone, and then once yeah. I connected it, it worked. Um, something something was annoying me. I think it was the connecting the phone thing. Bigger is the the gear selector. I was now, about to mention that. It, it, it gets credit for having an actual gear selector as opposed to a, a dial or something. This is... Oh, if, oh. If I yeah, could yeah, voice yeah. command the gear selection, I would prefer that over that awful monostable. Drive. Yeah, that's <laughs> monostable. Yeah, so Drive. It, it, this is a gear, unless you, if you've been in one of these, you'll know what we're talking about. But, um, you know, Audi has a similar system. I think even Jeep Grand Cherokees have a similar system. There's no positive uh, gear engagement. You move the, the, the selector, and it, it doesn't actually um, slot into a um, notch for drive, park, reverse, neutral, whatever. It just brings back to yeah. neutral. <laughs> yeah. To so, you know, you can throw it into reverse, but if you don't actually press the little uh, integrated um, unlock button, you'll accidentally throw it into neutral neutral, and then rev the engine and sound like a total <laughs> douchebag revving your little buzzy four-cylinder. Well, now, now, Graham, you'd think that driving this car, you'd only do that once. Right. Yeah. I did it every time I was trying to back out of the, we, uh, the driveway. We, we try to be quick learners around here because we're thrown into these situations. Um, we have to learn how to drive a brand new night. car. Yeah, yeah, and uh, still hit us. So I, maybe once you've owned it for a week or something, maybe there's a magic number of shifts you have to make well if you just you know you just grab that handle quick even if you i felt like i hit the button and you yank it back and then like you said it goes in neutral and the funniest thing about that either neutral or reverse is when you hit the gas and you kind of like flex your stomach to like get ready to go <laughs> and, and, like, nothing. and then nothing moves your body kind of moves instead same thing with reverse like if you're set for reverse and then the car goes nowhere you kind of your, your head goes forward um i think i think you use uh, automatic gear selectors kind of like me you hit the unlock thing and then just throw it back which won't engage reverse. No, right. You have to be holding, holding it hard at, through the, the transition. Time. Which, yeah. uh, I mean, it's probably there for some lawsuit prevention situation. But I would imagine it would be more dangerous to accidentally throw it in neutral. I can't. I haven't driven that yet, and that's fine. Um, I can't tell the difference between that and the car it replaced. What's the, the oh, oh man? The yeah, the front end. Let me see if I don't have so pictures it, of both here between the previous Evoke. Yes. Uh, it, it definitely gets more of the smooth, uh, slab-sided, 
corporate look, whereas the other one had all these strange creases and oh. character lines. Um, and it, the other one kind of looked like a weird space age Grand Cherokee, sort of. Yeah. And this one looks more like a, a Range, Range Rover Sport. Yeah. Okay. No roof rack though, which made getting a tree uh, this weekend a little tough. Oh yeah, you sliding around on the glass roof. Ooh, yeah, see, wow! Uh, they, I got a tree this weekend as well, and they put it on top of the the rain or on top of the Lexus GX lot of car. Um, and like over the bumps, I could hear going like, yeah. I'm like, that's probably scratching something. Uh, thankfully, my tree came in a box, so I don't have to worry about any of this. Oh, I cut my tree down like a lumberjack, like a I saw man. the picture of that. So fun. The place I was at. I unboxed it's, my tree like a suburbanite. It's just like a huge, it's a tree farm, but also there's like random trees going. He's like, yeah, just go onto the back of the property and cut down whatever you want. And there was trees ranging from, you know, five feet to 50 feet. And I was wondering if I cut down one of those 50 footers, he would still charge me the the minimum price of $35 or, or what it was. I gotta go get one. It was, it was hilarious. I, lo- right. I do love cutting down the own tree though. It feels, uh, feels great. Hypothetical situation. Mm. 70, you have 70 grand. Okay. Do, do you go buy one? Land Rover, Range Rover, Evoque, PHEV, MSRP. I'm going to jump in and say no, but go ahead. What's the second one? Or two. Sharp stick in the eye. Accord Sports. Two Accord Sports. They can hold about the same amount. Two Accord Sports for me. Yeah, I'm two Accord Sports. I'd find another six grand and get the E-Class wagon. It's, you don't know how the hypothetical questions work. It's not how this works at all. <laughs> it's, he, well, if it's hypothetical, I can give a hypothetical we, answer. We could. Uh, Randall just rock, paper, scissor, d- rock, paper, scissor, dynamited us. <laughs> we, and he's not wrong. No, he's not. We could say, what would you pick for 70 grand across the board, which I'd have to research a little bit. So don't say that now. But maybe next time we can talk about. I, I think I would go to Accord Sports, too. You, like, no matter what. For no, 70 no, no, grand? no, 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 okay, no, no, okay, no, no, okay. no. Got but at, if given the option, like uh, Suit Man, which is an inside joke for those outside in Podland, mm-hmm. uh, shows up with two Accord Sports or a Range Rover Evoque. You pick the wrong one, you die. No, 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 no. You don't die. You just are stuck with $70,000 of debt. I just wonder, you know, the badge thing. It matters. It absolutely matters. Well, I'm wondering, like, what percentage of people would say it matters to me? Like, if it's 50%. 70, 80. I want. I don't know if it's. I wonder if it's that high. I don't know. I think it's psychological. I think you're just speculating, but yes, yeah. I, I wonder what it would actually be, because like I want more car for the money if I can get that from a Kia Stinger as opposed to uh no, but you know E class or something. You know that I mean, and this is not hypothetical. There's people want a Range Rover. People they want go, a BMW. Go people to a dealership want. and say, I want a Range Rover. What's the most Range Rover I can afford given X? monthly payment right right right. and well okay it turns out the sport is uh well out of their reach so well know, and i mean here's this thing obviously genius i mean bmw mercedes range rover making these lower cost vehicles so people can squeeze in there i mean that is that's a genius move because if you can get into uh you know the cheap bmw the two series or or the cla is 30 30 grand right was the big thing for the cla when it first came out now i get the a class which is uh the same or smaller or whatever but Instead of buying an Accord Sport for thirty-one, you can get into a base, base, base CLA. Add a couple options. You're at thirty-six, maybe, and then add even more options. You're up at sixty. But you're driving a Merce- you're driving a Mercedes. Yeah, if, no, if you care about such things. <coughs> Which I, I would argue, and this is going a little on a tangent. I would argue people absolutely care about such things. Well, I mean, think about how much we love the the G ninety. I mean, the Genesis as a whole. You know, yeah. I mean, the G eight to G ninety. I mean, all all of them so much car for the money. Um, they're not a BMW, they're not a Mercedes or an Audi, but goddamn, I mean, they're a shit ton of car for the money. 
Well, and so so far this hasn't seemed to bite any of these automakers yet. Um, I know when the the CLA came out, there was the whole like you know is this a brand dilution thing going on it here? It did feel a little cheap. I do remember um, that. Which they've improved next yep. this current gen. Yeah, the class is good so far. Um, People are buying these things, so it hasn't really led to a bunch of unwanted cars sitting around diluting the the value of the brand. But I don't know. I mean, how many how many times can you split and then go down? You know, down market. It's a it's a seventy thousand dollar. <laughs> it's not really down market, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I think this is not what we think of when we think of what a Range Rover is. Um, but like I said, if somebody just wants a Range Rover because it's a brand. They're going to buy what they can afford. Agreed. Or buy something else. And now Range Rover can say, well, here's something you can afford. Yeah. I, and at the base price is re- reasonably priced, I'd argue. C- comparatively, relatively re- reasonably yeah. priced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Compared to other Range Rovers. And, you know, maybe you get a raise and then you do come back for a yeah. Range Rover. Which, which Range is Rover. the whole vertical integration of, of product portfolio, right? Yeah. You want to retain the customer at the entry point and retain them through your S-Class in terms of Mercedes or Range Rover Sport or whatever. And again, I think I would wonder if the, you know, the small portion of enthusiasts in the world, I mean, our listeners, I would venture. All of you are enthusiasts. Are mostly enthusiasts. If you made it this far, you're a super enthusiast (laughs) and you get a gold sticker. And I would, I would bet, I don't, I don't know. I would bet that they would pick more car for the money as opposed to brand recognition. Let us know in the comments Mm, below. We we love to know. Uh, But like I said before, you the last episode. Where are you going to find a podcast that gives you more podcasts for the money than the Auto Week podcast? Space and capability. That's what you get with this podcast. us know how we're doing. Leave us a uh, comment or review on iTunes with that five star, that important five star. Um, but more importantly, thank you so much for listening and getting uh, getting this far into a, an epic show. It's going to be a, a well over an hour. Thank you so much. Thank you.